This morning, I got a Father's Day message for you. And a few weeks ago, Mr. Nick King had the privilege of preaching on Mother's Day, and even though he could have took advantage of the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that he gets to preach on Mother's Day, he, he did not preach a Mother's Day message, and so that's his fault. So, to, and even though we didn't have a Mother's Day message that day, we still got all the mothers to stand and we asked them if we could bask in their glory and we, we made all the children go home and give them pedicures and, um, and uh, y'all didn't get that? Some of y'all look at me like, I don't... But, but that's, the way, that's the way that we treat mothers on Mother's Day. And then there's Father's Day. And on Father's Day today, we're not even going to have a message. I'm just going to ask all you... Uh, lousy fathers to come line up across here and we're going to let the oldest child come behind and kick you in your rear and say straighten up and act like a man daddy does that sound good to y'all oldest children amen <laughs> yeah, somebody won't say that that's no fair oh your dad's not here well now listen we will get that next week alright I know, and we're not going to leave him out, I promise you. He needs a tail kicking just as much as any of us do. <laughs> but it does seem like the men, the, the fathers always get the, the, the brunt of the load. It's like that they, they're the ones that um, always have to take the hardcore messages and the you just ain't got it all together. But the reason it seems that way, guys, is because... We as men were given the primary responsibility to lead our households in obedience to God. Not the sole responsibility, but the primary responsibility. Now God gave us helpmates, and for those of us that have been blessed enough to have helpmates in our lives, we know that they are there to help us with this responsibility. So today I want to make sure that even though I have titled this message, What a Wise Father knows and does, I could retitle it just as easily to you mothers, uh, what a wise parent knows and does. So whether you're a mother or a father this morning, I do speak to fathers, and I am going to hit us a little hard this morning, guys, uh, uh, because look around our culture, look around America, what's the one major thing you see lacking in the majority of families? Male leadership. We lack male leadership. We got guys running around here in rompers and lace clothing and fidget spinners. So today I want to ask all of you fathers to let's just listen up and let's examine ourselves and let's see is there, are there some changes that we could make? Because I'm going to tell you as I was putting this sermon together... I saw a lot of changes that I need to make in my house. A lot of changes that I need to make as, as I have the opportunity to raise a young man in Christ. I need to, to make these changes. And so uh, I don't see me as a preacher up here using the Word of God to try to kick you in your ear. But I do want us as men to step up to the accountability that God has called us to. And know that he, if He called you to this, He will give you everything you need to accomplish it. You know that, right? Amen. So... This morning, if you would, turn to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. Since this is my first Sunday back in the pulpit in a while, I'm going to take three hours today. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 through 9. Oh, now that's funny. They have put the clock up on the TV back there for me to see. <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> All right, here we go. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. If you're there, say amen. If you ain't there, say hold on. There's one in every bunch. Here we go. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. Pay attention to that. That you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God 
pay, a close, pay close attention. Remember, God gave it to me, Moses. I'm giving it to you. And you are to teach it to you and your son and your son's son. You see the progress here? By keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord the God of your fathers has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this morning we come to you and... Um, Lord, if we want to confess to you that this word is powerless unless you speak it to us, God. Unless you open it up and you allow us to see what it is that, that you want us to see, we will leave here unchanged and we'll leave here and nothing uh, will be any different than when we came in. Father, that's not what we want. Father, we're here this morning to be changed. We're here this morning to, to examine ourselves according to your word and for us to allow you to make the changes that need to be made in our lives. So God, my prayer is simply this. Speak to us through your word. Father, I pray that um, it's not my voice anyone hears. It's not me that they look at. I pray that our focus is on you, how you created us as fathers and mothers to be. And Father, I pray that, Lord, we would take this responsibility seriously and that today we would understand that one day we're going to stand before you and we're going to give an account for all the things done in the body, whether they be good or bad, especially as fathers and mothers. So, Father, I pray this morning that you help us to take this seriously and for us to, to take the time we have right now to prepare to make sure that we hear you say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Father, I don't want to stand before you and be ashamed. I want to stand before you and I want to hear you say, well done. And I know that in and of myself that will not happen. But Lord, if you'll speak to us through your word this morning, I know that it will take place if we're obedient to follow you. So Father, I pray to you again. I ask you to speak to us from your word this morning. Let us not be the same when we leave here. And Lord, I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As most of you um, know, um, my father and our father, my mother's here this morning, her husband um, uh, passed away on May the 2nd, and I had the honor of uh, preaching his funeral. It's, it's actually funny, I had the honor of preaching my grandfather's funeral, which I, I never imagined I, I would ever have that opportunity, and then I had the opportunity to preach my father's funeral, and um, a, as hard as that was, they were probably two of the greatest honors that I've ever had in my life uh, to be able to, to do that. And during that um, memorial service, I actually preached from Psalm chapter 90, which I would like to cover just a, a little bit on. We're going to hold your place in Deuteronomy because we're going back to Deuteronomy. But in this psalm, I want to connect these two together. In Psalm chapter 90, what we have here is Moses. And he is at the end of his life. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we also have Moses. And he's at the end of his life. So we don't know a timeline and we don't know exactly how close these are together. But when we start studying the two, I think you're going to see how they line up. So I want you to watch and see that this psalm in Psalm chapter 90 is actually a prayer that Moses prayed. And I want you to think about this. The things that he's fixing to talk about are things that he already knows. And he's praying and just confessing to God what God has taught him and what God has shown him. And then he comes to a key verse in here that we'll get to in a minute. 
And he says, God, my prayer is that you teach all of your people this right here so that we can have a heart of wisdom. So let's read over this very quickly. In Psalm chapter 90, it says, A prayer of Moses, the man of God. In verse 1 it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. That literally means our home, the place that we live. We, We live to honor you. We live to be obedient to you. You have been our dwelling place in, notice those next two words, all generations. Moses says that he's able to look back and see in every part of their generations and all their families, maybe not all of them, but he's been able to see that in some of the families in these generations, God has been their dwelling place in all these generations. And then he goes on and in verse 2 through 11 He begins to confess to God the things that he has learned about both himself and God. And so, namely, he wants them to know, starting in verse 2, that before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The first thing Moses wants to bring out and confess to God is one thing I have learned is that you created everything and you are not constrained by any of your creation, even time. God exists outside of the things that He created. He is not constrained by the limits of time which He created. He is from everlasting to everlasting. Now our minds cannot fathom that. I'm going to go to another scripture here in a few minutes to show you that Solomon, the great man of wisdom, found that out in his search for wisdom. He said, there's no way I can fathom the things of God. I I cannot understand them. But Moses wants us to understand that he has learned that God is eternal and that everything else is temporary. Notice in verse 3 what he says. He goes on and he says, You return man to the dust. So what is the one thing that Moses confesses to God that he's learned about himself and about mankind? We go right back to the dust. We are not like you, God, as far as being from everlasting to everlasting. We are fragile, we are frail, we are mortal. You are immortal. You're all-powerful. And he says, and you say, return, O children of man. In other words, the reason they go back to the dust is because God says, it is appointed unto man once to die. You know who appoints that time? He does. I don't get to choose it. You don't get to choose it. It may be as a baby, it may be as a teenager, it may be in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. But one thing that Moses knows for sure, we're going back to the dust. And then he says in verse 4, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past. In other words, Moses is still exploring the concept here that God has no concept of time as far as anything that constrains Him. He created it so He understands it, but He does not exist inside of it. A thousand years to God are like yesterday that's past. How many of you remember yesterday? We got one up here that said, Me! You remember yesterday. It's already passed. You can look back and you can remember and you know the things that took place. What does that tell you about God? He A thousand years to Him, it's already took place. He already knows it. God is all-knowing. He knows the beginning of your days. He knows the end of your days. And He knows everything that takes place in between them. And then He says in verse 5, You sweep them away as with a flood. Still talking about the days of our lives. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream. They're like grass that is renewed in the morning. And in the morning it flourishes and it's renewed. And in the evening it fades and it withers. And he says in verse 7, For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of of your presence. So one of the things he wants you to know is that all of our disobedience or all of our sin against him is the reason why we are no longer eternal with him. It's the reason why we return to the dust. 
It's because of our iniquities. These are things that Moses knows and he's just confessing to God the things that he knows. But then, let's just keep reading. He says in verse 9, For all of our days pass away under your wrath. Again, Paul understands that the reason why the world is the way that it is is because the wrath of God is being revealed for all of us to see. Death is part of that. We bring our years, we bring our years to an end like a sigh. It's on us. The years of your life are 70 or even by reason of strength, maybe 80, yet their span is but toll and trouble. Moses is looking at all the reasons why we go through the things in this life we do. And even if we do get to live long days, some of us might make it, some of us might not. He's already appointed that time. But he says, They're soon gone and we fly away. But in verse 11, who even considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So here's the key verse of Moses' prayer in verse 12. He says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So here's what Moses knows again. Moses knows that we are temporary, that we have toil and trouble in this life, that the wrath of God is being revealed, He knows that God is eternal and he also knows that the problem is we have not yet learned to number our days. We have to be taught to number our days. See, think about this. Even though we know we're temporary and everybody in here knows that you're going to die, there's another problem. You were created in the image of God who is, according to Moses, what? Everlasting to everlasting. You were created to be eternal. But we fell short of that glory and we sinned and fell short of the glory of God and that brought death. So we were created for eternity but instead we fell and now we have this temporariness. So we suffer from what this thing is I like to call time confusion. In your mind you know, you know that tomorrow is not promised. But yet you don't really believe it because eternity is in your hearts. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11, let's look at that verse real quick. He says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God, and it goes on, has done from the beginning to the end. In other words, I can't... He's put eternity in your heart, but yet you can't fathom what God has done from beginning to the end. There's no way your mind can comprehend it. You were created for eternity, and eternity is in your heart. So you know that there is eternity, but yet you also know that it is temporary. And so there's this um, this spiritual disharmony. Have you ever heard two singers try to sing together that they were just completely off and they couldn't get it together? That's what you have here. You have this beautiful voice inside of you that knows about eternity and then you have this other voice inside of you that knows that it don't last forever. And so you walk day after day after day and because you don't know how to number your temporary days, you act like you have eternity. But you don't. 19-year-old boy dies in a preacher's funeral, 19 years old. 35-year-old dies of a heart attack sitting in front of his his truck. As healthy as I'm standing here right in front of you right now, he goes, he sits down in front of his truck because he just don't feel right. He dies of a heart attack. My dad's 63 years old, just a couple months out of retirement. Never had a clue. You think you have tomorrow. But listen to me when I tell you, every one of you in here know that you don't. This time confusion can only be cured whenever you learn to number your days. And notice in verse 12 he says, in uh, Psalm 90 verse 12, he said, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. 
In other words, we don't realize how foolish it is for us to live day after day after day acting like we are promised tomorrow. I can prove to you that you have this time confusion right now. Everybody look at me right now. Suppose today at 5 o'clock this evening your appointment has been written down. You will die. 5 o'clock this evening. You will die. This is it. I'm telling you ahead of time. <laughs> Somebody thought that was funny. Think about it. If you knew that, and you knew that your days were numbered and you knew that your time was drawing nigh, what would you do different today? Would you do anything different today? I'm sure if you sit down and thought about it, you would do a lot of things different today because you know that you are coming to your end. See, your time confusion has just been cured because you have been taught to number your days and now you have a heart of wisdom. So my prayer for you today is that you can learn and Moses prayer for you today is that you can learn to number your days so that you can get a heart of wisdom and then go back to verse 1 in chapter 90 and look what uh, Moses starts out with remember he already knows all this he's already learned this and so here's what the wise heart who has learned to number his days does Lord you have been our dwelling place in all generations the wise heart lives where? In God. The wise heart looks at this life and knows it is so short. It's like grass that withers away. It does not last. And so if I'm going to be wise, the place I have to be is in Him and in His obedience. And so one of the things that I want you to focus on this morning is that this is Moses' prayer, but then... How does he accomplish this in people? How does he bring fathers or parents to the point that they um, teach their children to be obedient to God, to live in God, to make their dwelling place in God? Go back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. Now remember, Moses is near the end of his life. The first generation has died in the wilderness. Does anybody remember why the first generation died in the wilderness? Disobedience? Unbelief? The first generation has died and now we have the second generation that has come up and the only thing left of the first generation is two men. Do you know who they are? Joshua, Caleb, who believed and were obedient. And then you've got these children. These children whom the first generation's parents stood up and said, now wait a minute, if you make us all fall in the wilderness, what about our little ones who don't know right from wrong? And God said, oh no. Your little ones who do not yet know right from wrong, they will enter into the promised land. And so now that second generation has the time and the opportunity because now they know right from wrong. And they're old enough to comprehend and they have the opportunity to be able to follow God. So Moses starts out teaching them in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. Let's start there. <coughs> Excuse me. He said, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. Now put yourself in Moses' shoes for just a minute. How is this generation going to make God their dwelling place? Remember Moses' prayer? He knows that the wise heart makes God their dwelling place. So how is this generation going to accomplish it so that they don't end up like the majority of the first generation? And here's how it is. Moses says, the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. So in other words, somebody has to have been taught by God eventually somewhere. Some of y'all weren't raised up in the same kind of families like I were. But God has brought you to where you are now and He is teaching you now and now you have a responsibility to do what? Pass it on, learn, teach on to the next generation. And so Moses says it's going to start with the leader teaching you because I am taught by God that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. 
that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons. In other words, this thing is going to be handed down through the fathers. Fathers, you have a responsibility to make sure that you are handing down the teachings of God, that you're handing down a life of what it looks like to dwell in God, that you're living a life that understands how to number your days. I'm going to be honest with you. You know why the majority of our children today don't know how to number their days? Because you as fathers don't know how to number yours. Let me put me in here. Because we as fathers don't know how to how to number ours. And if we will learn from God ourselves, we can pass these things down. Now it's not his sole responsibility, but it is his primary responsibility. Look with me at Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 through 18. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall Die. Remember, eternity is in their hearts. They were created for eternity. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Here's why I say it is the man's primary responsibility. When God gave the command that you shall not eat from this tree or you will die, where was the woman? So when God creates the woman, how does the woman find out how to be obedient and make God her dwelling place? The man carries the primary responsibility, but notice what it says. As soon as God gives Adam the command of being obedient to him and what living in him looks like, look what he says the very next thing. Then the Lord God said... It is not good for you to be alone in this. In other words, it's, it's harder to walk in obedience by yourself. Would you agree with that? Amen. How easy is it for you to fall off the wagon when you're alone by yourself and there's no accountability? Amen. She says, I, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So it's the man's primary responsibility, but not the sole responsibility. So when I talk to fathers this morning, I'm also talking to the helpmates, the mothers as well. <clears throat> and so Moses next gives them three reasons to teach their children to live in God and to be obedient to Him. We'll go through these real quickly. Uh, the first reason comes from verse 2. In verse 2 he says that you, the reason why you should teach them is that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all of his statutes and commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Listen, disobedience is a killer. Now we are all sinners and we're all in disobedience, so we're all under the curse of death. But I want to tell you something. You can lengthen your days with obedience and you can shorten your days with disobedience. Now I'm not telling you that every person that died at a young age was disobedient. But I am telling you that there are some that did die at a young age because of disobedience. Let me prove it to you. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 17. Be not overly wicked. What does that mean? In other words, we're all wicked, right? Let's be honest. We have sin in our hearts and we all live wicked lives. But here's what he says. Don't be overly wicked. And what he means by that is, how many of you have ever known something was wrong, but you said, well, I'm going to do it anyway? Mm -hmm. Pay attention to this verse right here. Do not be overly wicked, neither be a what? A fool. Why should you die before your time? Listen to me. Disobedience is a killer. The reason why Moses wants this generation to be taught to live in God is because their days will be long. And their days can be long if they live in obedience to God. The second reason comes from verse 3. Go to verse 3 with me. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you. 
In Psalm, you don't have to go back here, but in Psalm chapter 90, verse 7 through 11, where Moses was praying this prayer, remember why he said it's not well with us? Remember why he said we have toil and trouble in this life? And you remember why we return to the dust? Because you've set our iniquities before us. In other words, because of our disobedience. So the reason why it's not well with us is because of our disobedience. Now this does not mean that everything in this life will go perfect if we just start being obedient today. But here's what He does promise. To those that will begin to be obedient today, He promises that even the suffering that you go through will even though it may come through acts of disobedience or sin in our life, He promises that He will work it together for our good. You remember that promise? Romans chapter 8 verse 28. He says, and we know that for those who what? Well, you could replace that with those who live in God, with those who make their dwelling place in God, with those who are obedient and love God. For all of those who love God, all things work together for good. Even bad things, even suffering. Listen, a person who's not living in God and a person who doesn't love God and a person who's not walking in God, can he claim this promise? So here's what he's telling you. Parents, do you want your children, do you want it to be well with them in their days while they're here? Loving God, living in God, obedience to God is what the Bible says will allow them to be, to, for it to be well with them. I, I, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I've counseled so many of you over the years. And how many of you, I just wonder, could say that I have seen such terrible situations in my life and I've watched God work it together for my good and for my children's good. You can say that because of this promise right here. And then when this life is over, there's nothing but good for us and it will be well. The next thing, the third reason why he wants us to teach it comes from verse 3 again. He says, first off, that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, and catch this, in a land flowing with milk and honey, that you may multiply greatly in the promised land. And so here's what I don't want you to think. I don't want you to think that this necessarily just means that that you're going to have a whole bunch of children. Here's what you need to understand. This promised land was full of enemies. It was full of enemies and they had to go in and drive these enemies out. And this generation that's fixing to come in this land, their influence in this land depended on them increasing in obedient children of God. Did God conquer the land through great numbers? Matter of fact, when Gideon came to attack the Midianites, they had thousands. God sent him down to the brook and he said, Listen, for every man that does this, cast them out. For every man that does this, cast them out. You know how many men Gideon ended up with to fight, I think, some 800,000 men? 300. 300 men was who God chose. He's not saying that you will increase greatly in necessarily a whole bunch of children. He's saying that your influence and your Christian influence will increase greatly as you follow Him. Think about America today. Has our Christian influence multiplied greatly in America? Why do you think that is? Because... We're not living in God because we're not walking in obedience to God. We're not multiplying greatly. It's, if we had this obedience to God, then we would be increasing in the influence in this land. But instead, who's winning the battle as far as we're concerned? The majority of good versus evil in America. Look around. Turn your TV on. Who's winning the battle? It ain't the Christians, but God's still in control. That's exactly right. And He's still making it go well with those who are obedient to Him, and He's still multiplying their influence greatly, but not in the nation as a whole. So there are three great reasons for us to make sure that we do this. Moses has seen the first generation perish because of disobedience and unbelief, but now Moses has learned that a wise man 
knows how temporary this life is. A wise man makes God his dwelling place in it. But each generation has to be taught this and it's the father's responsibility if he wants his children's days to be long, if you want that, and if you want it to be well with them, it's the father's responsibility. If you want their Christian influence to multiply greatly, it is the father's responsibility to teach these things. So, in closing, there are three ways that I want to show you how wise leaders and fathers and mothers carry out this responsibility. Go with me to verse 6. Well, we'll start in verse 4 of chapter 6. In verse 4 he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. The first thing he does is he goes from the first generation of all these rules to the second generation. He says, here's what I want to teach you. <laughs> now think about this. All these laws, all these rules, and Moses says, okay, here's what you need to hand down, and here's what you need to teach. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. If you can get that one down, is there anything else that you can get wrong? Jesus actually said when he was being tested, a lawyer came up to him and he said, tell us, great teacher, uh, what is the greatest commandment? Trying to trick him. And Jesus looked at him and said, well, you know what it is. It's, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might. That's the greatest commandment. But the second one's just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with everything in you and love others the way that you love yourself. And you've got every bit of this law. Jesus actually went on to say, all of the law and all of the prophets hinge on these two commandments. That's what he said. Everything else that was ever given to you by God or by Moses hinges on this. And so Moses for this second generation just wraps this all up and sums it up. Says remember this right here. Go on with me. Keep reading. Verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Fathers, if you're going to carry out this responsibility, listen to me carefully. You must love the Lord. These things can't just be something you know. You have to love God yourself. So here's what I want you to think about because a lot of people today like the idea of being a godly Christian person, but they've never truly seen Him as their Lord and their Savior. They have never truly had the experience and the eye-opening, awakening time with Him that shows them exactly who He is to them and who they are without Him. And until you have been there and until you love the Lord your God with your heart, you can't give what you don't have. You've heard that before from us, right? You can't give what you don't have. If you don't have it, your children can't get it from you, no matter how hard you try. So I want you to think about it. It's one thing to act the part, but think about how your life has changed since you met Christ. Do you love Him or you just like the idea of Him? If you love Him, guess what your children will see? Your children will see that you love Him. But if you just like the idea of Him, then your children will also see that. Now, I'm not, don't tie these two statements together. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try not to chase this rabbit, but I want to say this. I was talking to uh, a young person um, few, several days ago. I was talking to this young person, and he was talking to me about um, his parents. He said, I, I, he said, man, I've had some good parents. He said, it's, it's awesome. He said, and some godly parents. He said, especially my mama. Now, now he didn't, I didn't stop him. I didn't say a word. But this was his statement. I've had some great parents and some godly parents, especially my mama. Yeah, and that's great. That's awesome. But what does that say about the father without saying it? That's saying that, it's not saying he's not a Christian. It's not saying he's not godly. But there's something about the love that mama has for God that guess what? Daddy don't quite have that. 
He didn't mean it negative. He didn't mean it derogatory. He didn't mean it to lift one up above the other. But here's what I'm asking. Children, our fathers and mothers, when your children look at you, can they say about you, man, they love God. One thing I can tell you about my father, he, he loves God. I'd love children to be able to say, I've got godly parents, especially my father. Especially my father. The next thing, second thing, verse 7. <clears throat> he says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. So the second thing is your responsibility. Remember the first, you've got to love God. You can't give what you don't have. Second, you have to teach them diligently. This word diligently literally means this. Having or showing great care or effort in one's works or duties. Do you show great effort and great care in your desire and concern to teach your children the things about God? See, here's the problem that most of us have, if we'll be honest with us. We just expect the church to do it. And that's the way most of us were raised ourselves, right? We just expect the church is going to do it. Sunday school does it. Wanda's do it. Do it. And I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about that today, to be honest with you. You walk through your Sunday schools today, not just in this church, but any church. Walk through your Sunday schools and you, see, you know what you see more of than children? Chairs. Empty classrooms. If we're not even letting the church teach them anymore, if there's not enough concern to even let the church teach them, then I'm just going to ask, is there really any concern at home with you? And again, this is not, I know I'm fixing to line all of you up and just start kicking. But these are things that i got to pay attention to. i got to understand that it is important for me to make sure that my children, so I'm going to show great care and great effort in teaching my children. You know, I, I give in too easily. We, at, at, I'll go down and lay in the bed with Austin sometimes at night, and sometimes he lays in a chair with me, or here lately he's been in the bed with us. Um, we were trying to fix that. <clears throat> yeah, I know. <clears throat> but we are going to fix it. <clears throat> Don't laugh. We are. We're going to fix it. Come on. Have some faith in me. But we'll lay down, we'll lay down in, in, in his bed and I'll go get the storybook Bible. It's, you know, a little children's storybook Bible. And I'll sit down with him to open this Bible. And you know what he says to me every time? Every time he said, no, I don't want that Bible. I don't want that Bible. I want the Mickey Bible. Or another night he said, no, I don't want that Bible. I want the Iron Man Bible. And every book to him is a Bible. But he don't want the storybook Bible. He wants the Mickey Bible and the Iron Man Bible. And so instead of fighting with him about it, because I don't want to feel like I'm fighting with him about it, but, and I'll try to show him. I say, but look at the pictures and let's read about David or let's read about this. And, and he'll say, no, no, I don't want that Bible. I want the Mickey Bible. And so finally I'll say, okay. And you know what I do? I go put the storybook Bible back on the shelf and I pull the Mickey book out. And I go back and I open the Mickey book out and we read Mickey before we go to bed. I'm not saying that every now and then that's, that's not okay. But I've got to make sure that I'm showing great care and great effort in trying to teach him the things of God, the things that are important. Now, I do want him to make a difference in the things that are fiction and the things that are fact. So I don't want him to look at the Bible as Mickey or Iron Man. I want him to enjoy Mickey and Iron Man, but I want him to know the truth of the Bible. And so I'm going to have to make sure that I teach him diligently. So that's something that I pray that you, you fathers and parents would think about. You have to actively look for ways to teach, like setting up stones. We'll get to that here in just a minute. Number three, this is my last one that we'll go over. Number three... Um, in verse, um, no, it's the same verse. Remember, you shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. So here's the last thing. You have to live it by example. Now notice the times and the places that Moses tells them to teach them. Do you think it's coincidence that he said, okay, when you rise up, when you go to bed, when you walk by the way, when you do... 
He's talking about your normal, everyday, daily life. Whether you're getting up in the morning, whether you're laying down at night, whether you're walking by the way, whether you're going to Walmart, no matter what you're doing, you have to be making sure that you're living an example of someone who sees God in everything. Someone who loves God in everything. Uh, think, think about this. When you sit in your house, that was the first thing he said. Uh, most of what gets taught when I sit in my house, if I'm not careful, is whatever's on the TV. That's just being honest. See, I'm going to have to make some corrections. I have a job to where I can um, do the majority of my studying, the majority of my reading, the majority of my counseling. I can do pretty much all ministry on my job. And I've, I've counted that as a good thing, and it is. But I did that so that when I go home to my family, you know what I do with my family? We just kick back and we enjoy family time is what we do. And that's okay and that's good, but here's what I'm learning. My wife and my child need to see me sitting down and studying the Word. They need to see me sitting down with God before I go to bed at night and reading His Word. They, they need to see me get up in the morning and the first thing that comes to my mind and my thought is, God, thank you that you've given me another breath of life. They need to see the example lived out in my life of what it looks like when a person loves God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength. And fathers, I encourage you to take some time to go through that and ask yourself the question, when I sit down in my house, what am I doing that teaches my children about God? Or what can I do? It's not just about reading the Bible. There are things that you can do. When, when me and my wife, the, the, another one was when you walk by the way. Whenever we're walking in at night, um, uh, I give credit to my wife for this because I, I don't remember doing it. But um, she'll, she, Chastity will ask Austin, she'll say, what is that? He'll say, stars. What's that? That's the moon. Who made the stars? Jesus. Who made the moon? Jesus. And so just walking by the way, no matter where... They go, it's, it's about who made the ocean. Jesus made the ocean. No matter where they go, it, it, it's something about God and they look for opportunities to teach their children. Fathers, it's a good thing for you to do the same thing. When you walk by the way, I, I want to say this too, and I know time is drawing nigh, but listen, like I said, I ain't preached in a while, so y'all give me a break, all right? <clears throat> in Joshua chapter 4, after Joshua and the Israelites crossed the Jordan River, they saw a wall of water stand 17 miles high and they walked across on dry land. In the middle of this thing, Joshua tells them, get 12 men to pick 12 stones out of this river, pile them up on your shoulder, take them out here and set them up so that in time to come, when your children ask you, what do you mean by these stones, you can tell them about the great things that God has done. When he gave the Passover feast and he initiated the Passover feast, he said, listen, you will keep this feast throughout all your generations so that when your children ask you in time to come, what do you mean by this feast, you can tell them about how he delivered you from out of slavery into the promised land from Egypt. So here's something that would be wise for us to do. Look for the things that God has done in our life and set up some stones set up something, something just irregular so that it catches attention when you're just walking through your house one day and your, your child looks up and says, what's that? Or maybe even your grandchild looks up and says, what's that? I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you about what that stands for. You see that? When you walk by the way, make sure that you're teaching your children about the things of God. When you lie down, what a better time to thank God for the day and, and all of His graces. And what a better time to teach your children that the only reason you were given another day is because of God's grace and that we don't deserve it. But thank you. What a better time. When you rise up, what's the first thing that crosses your mind when you wake up? Do you even think about God when you wake up? How often do you get up? Let's just be honest. How often do you get up and you just go about your daily routine without, the, without God even crossing your mind? I do that so often. If I do that, what do you think my children are going to see? What do you think they're going to do? Parents, listen to me. 
we got to make some changes for this generation. Most of us weren't raised this way. And most of your parents weren't raised this way. So how can you hand down what you don't have? Well, it starts with God teaching you. And then you pass it on to the next and the next and the next. Make the shift today. In my closing, parents, do you want... This is my second closing, by the way. I'm not going to go through six today, just two. Parents, do you want your children to have wise hearts? That's what Moses was praying for. Do you want it to be well with them? Do you want them to live to the fullness of their years and not die before their, before their time? Do you want them to multiply the Christian influence in this generation greatly? Love the Lord in your heart. Teach your children diligently. Actively look for opportunities to teach them. Plan ahead. Think ahead about how. How can I do this? What little things can I do to show them that I believe in God the Creator and what He has done for us and, and, for, and for our lives? Live it by example. Make your whole day when you get up, whenever you lay down, when you walk by the way, make your whole day about the one who gave you life, who gave you breath, and who gives you all things. Whether it's the sun, the moon, and the stars, make every step you take about the fact that it all comes from Him. And if it were not for Him, where would we be? The wise heart knows that we're temporary like grass, but God is eternal. And the wise heart will make God their dwelling place. And fathers, it is your responsibility, the primary responsibility, to make sure that your children learn how to do that by watching you. If y'all would, stand this morning. <clears throat> We're going to have a time of invitation, a time that... Um, Maybe the Lord has just spoke a word to you and you just want to humble yourself before Him. There ain't no power and nothing special in this wood and carpet up here. That's all that it is. But the Bible says that if, it, if we will humble ourselves before God, He will lift us up. Uh, uh, so if this is a time that you would like to humble yourself before Him, that's open. You can do it right there in your pews. But whatever God has spoken to you from His word this morning, I pray that you've listened to it. And I pray you've self-examined. And I pray that you have found things that you can maybe change in your life to help your children make God their dwelling place. But whatever it was, don't leave today without letting God speak to you and change you. <laughs>